A warning, this episode features violent content, disturbing imagery, and mature themes including murder and infanticide. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Additionally, certain liberties were taken to develop the story beyond the original text. We hope you enjoy our adaptation of this epic story. Most of the tales we retell on this show are broadly considered fantasy. Few people living today believe that Thor decides where lightning strikes or that Anubis is waiting to weigh your heart when you die. This explains why the word mythical is often considered synonymous with fictional. But it should be stated, myths are not necessarily fiction. A myth is defined as a traditional story that explains natural phenomena or the social foundations of a nation or people. They're distinct because their explanatory power appeals to supernatural causes, the divine, the demonic, and the magical. Many myths form the backbone of the world's most prominent religions, and among the most popular of those are the stories of the Bible. But while true believers in most myths died with the civilizations that spawned them, the stories of the Bible exert a direct influence on the world to this day. To some, this may seem mystifying. Why is one supernatural story dismissed when another isn't? What makes the biblical myths so resilient to the ravages of history, while the Greek or Egyptian pantheons are universally treated as fiction? One possible answer is that the biblical stories are grounded in history, focusing on specific people who were said to exist in specific times and specific places. The blend of history and supernatural mysticism provides biblical myths with a concrete historical context that can help us understand their roots and meanings. This is particularly important for today's story, the biblical epic Exodus an age-old classic about the liberation of a people and the foundation of a new nation, one whose laws and strictures were said to come from God himself. Cool, early morning air blew through the Hebrew slave city of Goshen. As the city slept, a lone woman hurried through its streets, a basket in her arms and tears in her eyes. Jochebed prayed she would not be spotted by Egyptian soldiers as she approached the Nile. Her eyes scanned the riverbank for a calm patch of water and noticed one between the reeds. Without hesitation, she pushed her way in. She gently laid the basket in the river, breathing to steady her nerves. She would take one last look inside. Jochebed undid the woven lid and lifted the covering. Her three-month-old son dozed peacefully inside. His face was sweet, innocent, oblivious to the dangers around him. He did not deserve to be abandoned, but she had no choice. She gave him one last kiss, said a silent prayer, and ran away, tears in her eyes.
Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Exodus is the second book of the Torah, as well as the Christian Bible. The first five books of both texts are known as the Pentateuch, or the Books of Moses. As the foundational documents of both the Jewish and Christian faiths, the significance of these texts cannot be overstated. Their supposed author, Moses, was a man who claimed that God called him to free his people from slavery. Today, we'll be focusing on the circumstances of Moses' birth and the divine interventions that drove him to become a legendary prophet. Some biblical scholars believe Moses was likely born in Egypt during the reign of Thotmes II or Thotmes III, around 1510 to 1500 BCE, while some theorize he lived in the Transjordan region in the mid-13th century BCE. In this reading, the Exodus itself is theorized to have taken place around 1420 BCE, marking the end of the reign of Pharaoh Amenhotep II. Others argue that the Exodus actually took place 300 years later during the reign of Merneptah, and still others believe the events of the book were fabricated or greatly exaggerated. One last thing that's important to know going into this story, Exodus is the continuation of another story said to have taken place 500 years before the birth of Moses. That is the story of Abraham, a man so faithful that God promised him that his descendants would outnumber the stars. The descendants of Abraham, also called Hebrews, remained enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. During this time, the Hebrew people nearly forgot the promise God made to Abraham. But according to the writings of Moses, God had not forgotten them. This is the story of their exodus. Coming up, a young boy takes his first steps toward his destiny. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. 
That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The expansive waters of the Nile flowed across the Egyptian countryside, their life-giving power awesome and unchanging. But in one tiny part of its riverbanks, deep in the city of Goshen, a desperate woman placed her infant son in the current, hoping he might survive. The sun rose and the baby slept on, his basket held in place by the reeds. The boy would likely die. Perhaps the basket would shift and he would drown, or his body would succumb to starvation, or a crocodile would catch his scent and devour him. But someone, it seemed, had different plans. Before the sun reached its peak, a convoy of women passed by the riverside. Their dresses were elegant and beautiful, and they had a regal bearing about them. As the entourage neared the reeds, the boy began to cry. Is that a baby? You there, see if you can find the source of that crying. One of the servant girls ventured into the reeds. She emerged from the river, carrying the basket with the bawling infant inside. (gasps) He's absolutely adorable. Give him to me. You're one of the Hebrew boys, aren't you? Oh, you must be so frightened. (gasps) Shh. (laughs) Once you have a name, you won't have anything to fear. I better give you one quick then, shouldn't I? Hmm. How about (gasps) Moses? I've pulled you from the water and now you'll be my son, Moses. When this woman promised the baby a life without fear, her words held weight. She was Hatshepsut, the favorite daughter of Pharaoh. A slave boy left to die had been swept into the loving hands of the most powerful woman in all of Egypt. Fortune, or perhaps something stronger, had smiled on the abandoned child. Moses grew up happy and healthy, with no knowledge of where he had come from. Hatshepsut raised him as her son under Egyptian customs. This hieroglyphic represents the eye, and this one represents the pharaoh, your grandfather. The Great Pyramids were built to house our ancestors over 1,000 years ago. Can you count to... No, put that down. Don't hit your sister. We don't hurt cats, Moses. Where do you even get the energy to chase him down? Leave the poor thing alone. Moses felt perfectly at home with Hatshepsut. He had siblings and cousins to play with and servants to fill his every need. But as he grew, he started to notice something odd. Members of the household treated him with less respect than the other children. The pharaoh was particularly cold to him, often hurling insults at his expense. 
For years, Moses could tell the Pharaoh didn't like him, but he did not know why. With time, the truth became impossible to ignore. Moses did not look like his supposed parents. His hair was a different color, as well as his skin. In many ways, he had more in common with the Hebrew slaves of his mother's household. Moses tried to fit in with his brothers, sisters, and cousins, but as he reached his teenage years, he could not help but feel like he did not belong. Slowly, his mood turned sour. Moses? Why are you sulking alone in the dark? Your siblings have all gone to the banquet without you. You say that as if they want me there. They are your siblings. You may fight from time to time, but they still love you. And what a pharaoh. Every time I see him, he gives me this look. Like he wishes I was dead. Nonsense. If your grandfather wears a stern expression, it's only because he has a lot on his mind. Heavy lies the crown, I know, mother. He could at least spare me a smile. He rarely smiles at anyone. <laughs> he smiles at everyone but me. Don't be dramatic. Now go eat your dinner. Slave girl, fetch me my dinner, or you'll catch the crack of my whip. Moses! Don't you have a banquet to get to, mother? By the time Moses had reached 18, his isolation was undeniable. His only real relationship was with Hatshepsut, but he knew she was keeping a secret from him, and the tension soon became unbearable. Mother, he did it again! And once again, it's all in your head. Pharaoh's glare is not in my head. He thinks I don't belong here. But you do. How many times have I told Quiet. you? Quiet. I know he thinks I'm stupid, but you... You repeat yourself to drown out the truth. But I already know the truth. You aren't my mother. Moses. I am your mother. You're not. I am. I just... I didn't give birth to you. But you are my son. A son that was stolen from his rightful mother. Oh, if you want the truth, I'll give it to you. But don't blame me if you don't like what you hear. Coming up, Moses' life changes forever. Hi, listeners. I'm Tom Morton, host of Parcast's landmark show, Real Pirates, where we set sail alongside history's most notorious villains. Dive into their world during the golden age of piracy in an immersive audio experience. Listen as experts reveal the reality of life under the black flag. There is no evidence that I have ever seen of any pirate burying their treasure. Catch our previous episodes on Major Steve Bonnet, Charles Vane, and Blackbeard. Blackbeard himself as a pirate was a larger-than-life figure. He would put candles into his hair to frighten his victims. And still to come are the stories of Anne Bonny, Captain Kidd, and Henry Morgan. Join us for new episodes every Monday as we follow the rise and fall of the most legendary outlaws ever to sail the seven seas. Real Pirates is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen to Real Pirates for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, 
the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Moses paced back and forth, waiting for Hatshepsut to tell him the story of his birth. He noticed her shaking and avoiding his eyes. He sat down, meaning to signal that he was ready. This did not seem to calm her. Hatshepsut poured herself a tall glass of wine and drank it as quickly as she could. She needed to steal her nerves to tell the story she was about to tell Moses. <sighs> Moses. Your true ancestors were not Egyptians. They were Hebrew. Your people have been slaves to mine for centuries. In the early days, their numbers were few. They were easily controlled and easily fed. Even though they were slaves, my forefathers treated them with some dignity. They helped us build the great cities of Python and Ramses. But as time passed, their numbers grew. It was unexpected. The pharaohs had never seen a slave class grow so quickly, and ever more overseers were needed to keep them in line. The pharaohs and their ministers decided to work the Hebrews even harder, down to the bone. They thought that by overworking the Hebrews, they would stifle this population boom. But they were wrong. It seemed like the harder they worked, the more their population grew. In time, my ancestors came to fear that the Hebrews would overrun all of Egypt. Moses stared at Hatshepsut, unblinking. Deep down, he had always known that he didn't belong, but he had never imagined that he had been taken in by his own oppressor. The Egyptians had treated his ancestors like cattle. He was so lost in thought, he didn't realize Hatshepsut had fallen silent. She looked at the alabaster floor, expression grim. The story wasn't over yet. Mother, what did Pharaoh do? <sighs> My ancestors tried many ways to curb the growing Hebrew population, and they kept failing until finally your grand... My father, Pharaoh, had a grim revelation. The only way to stop the threat was to kill it in the crib. You don't mean... He made a decree. Every newborn Hebrew boy was to be thrown into the Nile to ensure they would never grow into warriors. The floating bodies would serve as a warning to all who would seek to defy him. That's unspeakable. Pharaoh's armies spread through the land of Goshen. They kicked down every Hebrew door and seized every infant boy they could find. They drowned those children in the same river that gives our country life. How could the Hebrews stand it? Surely they must have risen up after such a crime. No, 
their adult men were weakened by the constant work, and the Pharaoh's edict remained in place for years after that first massacre. Whenever a baby's cries could be heard in Goshen, Pharaoh's soldiers raided the home and executed any boy they found. Moses shifted uncomfortably in his seat as Hatshepsut took a large swig from her glass. Questions ran through his mind and a fierce rage bubbled up within him. But he wanted the full story. He had the acute feeling that if he objected one more time, Hatshepsut would be silent out of shame. So he bit his tongue and waited for her to continue. (laughs) I'm ashamed to say it, but at the time I did not care. I did not see the horrors myself, and I believed my father when he said the Hebrews were a threat. So I ignored the bloodshed. Until one day, one of my servants, a girl I cared for, got pregnant. Still, I did not think of the implications, but she did. Eventually, she gave birth to a boy. When the soldiers took him away, I finally understood. For the first time in my life, I saw the horrible injustice perpetrated by my people. I felt so guilty. I left the palace that day to walk along the Nile. I needed to see Goshen myself. It was there, on the banks of the river, that I found you. Your birth mother had built you a basket and hidden you in the reeds by the river. I fished you out, a beautiful, untouched baby boy, the most beautiful boy I had ever seen. What happened to my birth mother? I sought her out discreetly. At first, she was terrified of being discovered, but when I made it clear that I didn't want to harm her, she told me what had happened. She had hidden you for three months until she could hide you no longer. We both knew that if she'd kept you, if I left you with her, you would be killed. I could not save the rest of the Hebrew boys. But I could save you. That's why Pharaoh hates me. You were a symbol of my defiance. A living, breathing insult to his power. And the edict? Eventually, I wore him down and the genocide was ended but not before they served their purpose. The Hebrews are a broken people. They will never rise up now, never threaten Pharaoh's power, and never be free of their yoke. For that, I will never forgive myself. Mother, I... I don't know what to say. Don't say a word. Just know that I love you. That night, a deep anger took root within Moses. He hated all of Egypt for what had been done to his people, but he could not bring himself to hate Hatshepsut. She had raised him, and she had loved him. For her sake, Moses kept his hate to himself. As his anger festered, guilt grew alongside it. Why should he have survived when so many Hebrews had been slaughtered? Why should he live in the lap of luxury when his people suffered in the dirt? Why should he call himself an Egyptian when his blood told a different story? 
He longed for connection to his people, and now he knew that he had a family somewhere out in Goshen. With Hatshepsut's blessing, he learned his birth mother's name and set out to meet her. Eventually, he arrived at a small brick home. Its walls were cracked and crumbling, and large rats skittered about the alleyway. This was the place where his true family lived, and he had come to meet them. A young man only a few years older than Moses answered the door. He looked frighteningly like him. Uh, hello. My name is Moses. I don't want to over-explain, but I recently learned... I learned some things about my past, and anyway, I'm looking for... Your family? You won't find them here. Really? Because for a second I thought this door had been opened by a mirror. What's your name? Aaron. Aaron. And you swear we aren't related? We just look like each other by accident? (sighs) Mother always said you'd be back one of these days. The son who was saved by the Egyptians. Mother? Then that makes us brothers! You are no brother of mine. Our only connection was our mother, and she's dead. Dead? From what? Pestilence. Happens quite a lot out here in Goshen. Oh. I I was hoping... I'm sure you were hoping for a lot of things. But true Hebrews learn early that life is full of disappointments. Go back to your palace, brother. You don't belong here. Moses was devastated by this encounter. He would never get to meet his birth mother, and his true family wanted nothing to do with him. To make matters worse, as he walked through the streets of Goshen, he noticed many Hebrews watching him with angry expressions. Moses felt just as he had whenever he caught one of Pharaoh's glares. His own people did not want him, They resented him for his privilege, and he completely understood why. Moses grew quiet and reserved. Every time he gazed upon the Nile, he imagined the cold, dead faces of the Hebrew infants staring back at him. Every time he saw a Hebrew woman, he saw his birth mother desperately weaving, forced to give away her son forever. Every time he saw his people slaving away, he saw Pharaoh's proud grimace. As Moses grew into his manhood, his hate grew with him. He longed to lash out against the Egyptians and save his people. He thought perhaps if he freed them, they would welcome him and he'd finally have a home. This longing stayed with Moses until he was 40 years old. He had grown educated and powerful within the royal household. He grew confident and decided it was finally time to get closer to his people. He ventured out from the palace and went south to the largest slave work camp. There, he saw his people's sweat mixing into the bricks and the buildings they built. His anger grew as he saw the Egyptians shouting and haranguing them to work faster. 
Moses wandered to the very edges of the worksite. He was fuming about the injustice all around him when he stumbled across a grim sight. An Egyptian slave driver towered over a Hebrew slave, beating the man into the dust, whipping him until his flesh was striped red. Moses felt his face turn red with rage. If he could not make all of Egypt pay, he would at least make this slave driver answer for his crimes. He glanced left and right and made sure that nobody was watching. He picked up a loose brick, then crept up behind the slave driver. He raised the brick and brought it crashing against the Egyptian's helmet. When the slave driver hit the ground, Moses kept swinging and all of his rage was spent. He dropped the brick and helped the fallen slave to his feet. Only then did he realize that he knew the man he had saved. (sighs) (sighs) Moses, you... You saved me? Aaron, I barely recognize you. Why have you come here? Tired of pretending at being an Egyptian? Hold your tongue! You're the one who turned me away! Can't argue with you there. Is it thanks you want? (sighs) Thank you. There'll be another man beating me tomorrow, and the tomorrow after that. But thank you for nothing. Just get out of here and tell no one you saw me. Whatever you say. Once Aaron left, Moses went to work dragging the Egyptian's corpse out into the desert. He pulled him to the nearest dune and buried him in the sand. He made sure to wash off the blood before he went home for the night. As he lay in bed, the weight of his actions crashed against him. He had killed a man, an Egyptian, Pharaoh already disliked him, but if he ever discovered that Moses had committed murder, he would be executed. Moses just had to hope Aaron would keep his mouth shut. And why wouldn't he? His life had been saved. Surely he would have the decency to protect the man who had saved him, no matter how he felt about Moses. After stirring for hours, Moses finally slept. By the time Moses woke, the sun had long since risen, and the Hebrews had already begun their backbreaking work. Moses felt a surge of relief. If the authorities had heard about his actions, he would have been grabbed during the night. His worries allayed, he went to reacquaint himself with his people. Moses wandered the streets, watching the Hebrews work. What he saw surprised him. Hatshepsut was wrong. The Hebrews were far from broken. They were numerous and they were strong, perhaps even strong enough to take back their freedom. As he walked on, a strange idea began to form in Moses' mind. The Hebrews needed a leader, someone who could inspire them to work together to challenge Pharaoh. Perhaps that someone could be him. Around midday, he came across two Hebrew men fighting as they worked. 
This mystified Moses. Surely the men understood that Egypt was their real enemy. Incensed, he called out to the one who had started the fight. Hey! Stop your fighting this instant! Huh? Mind your own business. Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Fellow Hebrew? You say that like you're one of us. I am the blood of your blood. And as your blood, you shouldn't be hurting your countrymen. Countrymen? You call yourself our blood, and then you act as if you're our ruler? Did we appoint you to judge us, great Moses? No. But I know injustice when I see it. You're the only injustice here, adopted bastard of the oppressors. Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian slave driver? You... you know. All of Egypt must know by now. No. That can't be. I have to go. Good riddance. Moses ran back to his quarters and packed as quickly as he could. He glanced out his window to see a troop of soldiers approaching from the distance. He left all he could behind, climbed onto his camel, and fled. He watched the troop descend on his home from a distance, then sped into the desert. If Pharaoh's men caught him anywhere in Egyptian territory, he would pay for his crimes with his life. Coming up, Moses flees. Now back to the story. The sun beat down on Moses' back as he traveled north into the desert. At the next town, he changed his clothes and camel, giving a false name to the merchants. He set out again without delay, certain that Pharaoh's soldiers must not be far behind. He rode for weeks, stopping only to eat, sleep, and water his camel. He had become a nameless drifter, and sometimes when he stared up at the starry skies, he felt his vision cloud with tears. Everything he'd known, everyone he loved, all of his dreams for himself and his people, all of it was lost. Now he was a fugitive, desperate and alone. Eventually, Moses arrived in the land of Midian, hundreds of miles away from Egypt. Exhausted from his journey, Moses stopped to rest on the cool stones of a well on the outskirts of a small settlement. He awoke the next morning to see six women wrangling a group of sheep. A seventh stood at the well, arguing with a gnarled old shepherd. You can't do this every day. Our flock needs water, too. Your flock will drink when mine is at its fill. Moses could see fire in the woman's eyes. This had clearly happened to her before, but there was little she could do. The old shepherd was twice her size. Moses stood to settle the argument. Who arrived first? What's it to you, drifter? We did. We always get here first, and he drives us away. Then the women should water their flock first. I told you, stay out of it. And I told you, wait your turn, or I will make you. <laughs> Please, you wouldn't fight me for something so petty. I would kill you if that's what it took to correct this injustice. I have nothing to lose. Fine. 
The women may use the well first, but hurry it up! Thank you, sir. We can take it from here. No, let me. I insist. <sighs> Thank you, stranger. My name is Zipporah. What's yours? My name is... Moses. Pleasure to meet you. Moses drew the water from the well and watered Zipporah's flocks for her and her sisters. He learned they were the daughters of the local priest, a man named Jethro. Once the work was done, he bade them good day, not wanting to overstay his welcome. As the six younger sisters took their sheep and headed off, Zipporah turned back to speak with Moses. Moses, do you have anywhere to go? Anything to eat? I make do. Please, head home with your sisters. You don't want anything to do with me. Well, my father would be quite upset if I didn't bring you to meet him. He'll want to thank you for your help today. Oh, no thanks are needed. <laughs> are you Egyptians always so stubborn? Oh, I... I'm not Egyptian. Really? Your clothes look... I'm Hebrew. A Hebrew wearing Egyptian clothes fleeing from Egypt. Say no more, Moses. We descendants of Abraham are treated quite poorly in Egypt. Whatever you've done, I'm sure you had your reasons. We descendants? You're a Hebrew yourself? No, no. My father's lineage traces back to Esau, not Jacob. But we worship the same God. Hmm. You know, I once hoped our God might use me to free his people, but I suppose I'm of no use to him after all. No use? A bit early to make such proclamations, isn't it? Perhaps he has brought you here for a reason. What reason might that be? To receive my father's thanks, for one. Perhaps he'd even hire you. He could use an extra hand around the farm. Well, I suppose I could use a meal. But are you sure your father needs help? I could swear you were the one who I just saved by the well. <laughs> I guess you'll have to ask him yourself. <laughs> I think I will. Moses and Zipporah returned to her home. She introduced him to her father, Jethro, priest of Midian, and the two quickly became friends. As Zipporah predicted, Jethro offered Moses a position as hired help. He needed a man to watch the flocks with his daughters and keep them safe from wolves and men alike. Moses took a night to think about the offer, but when he awoke the next morning, he realized that he had stumbled upon a wonderful opportunity. He had nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. Now a priest and his daughter wanted to give him a place to stay and a job to work. It seemed wrong to spit in the face of good fortune, so he remained in Midian and became a hired hand for Jethro. It was rough, difficult living compared to the palaces of Egypt, but Moses found it rewarding, and when he worked, Zipporah was never too far off. Watch your step, th 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 that gravel's loose. Whoa, oh, thank you. What is that, the hundredth time you've saved me? Hundredth, thousandth, doesn't really matter. You've saved me just as many times as that. Oh? How's that? Do you remember when we first met? 
you saved me from wasting a whole day at the well. Are you trying to rub it in? <laughs> I'm serious. Back then I was... I didn't know it, but I was desperate. Despondent, depressed. Dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I'm, I'm opening my heart here. Have some mercy. Okay, I'll listen. <sighs> I was alone. Well and truly alone. I was angry, and I lashed out in a horrific way. After that, I thought... I thought it was over. My whole life was over. I'd given up my search for a family. Then you brought me in. Oh, I think my father deserves the credit. I spoke to your father this morning. I asked him... I asked if he would let me take your hand in marriage. You did? What did he say? Zipporah. Will you marry me? The couple married, and in time they had two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. The small family became Moses's world. He had traded the concerns of his status and his people for a simple life with simple pleasures. In the evenings after the day's work was done, Jethro told stories about their ancestors and the God they worshipped. Moses was most enraptured by the story of Abraham, a man who left his home behind to build a new one in a distant land. The years passed. Every now and then, Moses' thoughts would drift to the Hebrews still enslaved in Egypt. At these times, his heart would fill with guilt, and he wondered if he could have done more to help them. But he had a family to look after now, and he was still a wanted man in Egypt. So he resolved to put it from his mind, to live out his days in peace in his new home, and to never, ever go back. But his plans were soon interrupted. It was a day like any other. Moses, now 80 years old, was busy tending Jethro's flocks as he had done for years. Their grazing led him to the far side of the desert, all the way to Mount Horeb. There, out of the corner of his eyes, Moses saw something strange. On the mountain was a bush wreathed in flames. As Moses watched, the flames did not dim, and the bush remained unaffected by the scalding heat. Its leaves were still green, its branches intact. Like a moth, Moses was drawn to this unearthly flame. As he approached, something even more miraculous happened. The bush spoke. Moses. Moses! Uh, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Pharaoh? Me? What makes you think I, I could do something like that? I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Are you sure the Israelites will remember you? What if they, they ask me for your name? Who shall I say has sent me? I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. But, Lord, what if they don't believe me? You will give them three miraculous signs. Take your staff and throw it on the ground. Moses did as God asked. When the wood hit the ground, it shifted before Moses' eyes. Then his staff transformed into a snake. It hissed and Moses ran, terrified of what was happening before him. Seize it by the tail. Moses fought his nerves, turned around, and did as the voice commanded. When his fingers wrapped around the snake's scales, it transformed back into the gnarled wood of his walking staff. For the second sign, put your hand in between the folds of your clothes and pull it back out. Again, Moses did as the voice commanded. When he removed his hand from his cloak, his skin turned flaky white, and it felt as if he'd been afflicted with leprosy. Once you've seen enough, repeat the action. Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he pulled it out, he was completely healed. For the final sign, when you reach the Nile, take a cup full of water and pour it on the ground. It will turn to blood. Oh, Lord, you send me to lead, but... I am not the confident speaker I once was. Even the thought of speaking in front of a crowd terrifies me. My nerves shake, and I mumble and slur my words. How am I supposed to speak to a nation? Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go! I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Lord, I... Lord, please, just... Please send someone else to do it. 
Your brother, Aaron the Levite, can speak well, and he is already on his way to meet you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, but you will take this staff in your hand, so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Lord, the Pharaoh sentenced me to die. You worry about the Pharaoh? Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. I... I will do as you command. Moses returned Jethro's flock to him and told him what had happened. Jethro gave Moses his blessing and told him to return to Egypt. Moses gathered Zipporah and their two sons, and the family left Midian for the first time in 40 years. As Moses set off on the road to Egypt, his mind shook with fear. He was no longer a young man. He had lost his boldness. He had lost his passion. He had not seen his brother in over 40 years, and God expected them to work together. The Egyptians had oppressed his people for 400 years, and God expected the Pharaoh to let them go. Moses was terrified, but the Lord had spoken. And staff in hand, Moses was going to free his people, just as his God commanded. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. Tune in next time for part two of The Exodus, where God wages war against the Pharaoh and fulfills his promise to free the Hebrews from slavery. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Join us next Tuesday for the next chapter of this epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Giles Hovseth, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Samia Mounts, Cameron Nikad, and Nazi Tarsha. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.